slogans like defend the police, uh, destroy the prison system, bring down statues. Uh, the whole system is tainted, so the whole system has to be brought down. Then you hear the nihilism in that. If they're not telling you what they're going to replace it with. Hi, I'm Ari Stein, the founding editor of 52 Insights. This week, we're talking wokeism, cancel culture, the major civil unrest unravelling in the United States and the Black Lives Matter movement with the heroic Dutch-Somalian, now-American-based intellectual Ayan Hirsi Ali. For those unaware of her plight, she has lived a most extraordinary life. In 1992, at the age of 23, she escaped Somalia from an arranged marriage with a distant cousin, eventually finding political asylum in the Netherlands. There, she worked her way through the parliamentary system as an outspoken legislator. In 2007, she moved herself to the United States, using her struggle and voice as a platform for the freedom of women everywhere via her non-profit organisation, AHA, at the same time having become a renowned outspoken critic of Islam. Her plight has been documented in successive autobiographical bestsellers, including Infidel and The Caged Virgin. The courage to speak out against those things which she sees as injustice has gained her a global legion of supporters. She's been the recipient of numerous accolades, including Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential Persons and European of the Year by Reader's Digest. But she has paid a hefty price for this courage to speak out. She's lived under some type of security arrangement since 2004. In fact, for this interview, she wouldn't tell me where she was for security reasons. Today, we do not speak to her within the context of fighting for female rights, nor within the context of religious extremism, but for the mere fact that she once again is fighting to protect her voice under the stirring narrative of wokeism. As far as the new left is concerned, she is not welcome. And for someone as genuinely awakened as Ayan is, if she eventually finds herself on mute, this could have grave consequences for us all. We started this interview by asking Ayan about the parallels between the woke agenda and the race movement in America. Unfortunately, the ones who actually are doing well, they are the ones who are promoting this idea that uh, our structures and our system and everything is racist. They see race in everything. And so they've created um, a cultural narrative that accuses uh, white people, especially the white heterosexual male, uh, of being nothing but an oppressor. And everyone else is a victim. And, you know, as you said, you've, <laughs> you've read critical theories slash cynical theories, um, and it's way more cynical than you would think. It's become more widespread than ever. Um, yesterday, Alex and I were talking about um, schools where they're saying, you know, the doctrine, um, and that's what it is, it's, it's really a cult. Um, the brainwashing is now not just in universities, it's, it's spread. It's going all the way down to elementary schools and uh, high schools and um, in the workplace, it's everywhere. And so it's, and it's going with such alarming speed that um, I have to say I, I didn't I really underestimated it for a long time. I laughed it off. Yeah. So I know that you've spent your life fighting off criticism, fatwas, vigilante mobs, 
um, and for the sake of this interview within this context, are you able to articulate some of the challenging scenarios you have been in where you felt that your voice has been suppressed or where you were genuinely shocked by some of the behaviour that has emerged from this Antifa-spirited kind of movement? Um, well, yes. I mean, I don't know if you recall it, but I had been... I mean, there are so many instances, but let me... Do you want me to start back in Holland or do you want me to start in some of my experience here in America? <laughs> well, it's interesting because I know of your history. Um, yeah. And I think it's important to speak out. Free speech should be protected. And that's a, a metric that you stand by. But I'm talking about more in this recent intensification that you've talked about. What are some of the... Yeah examples that, that you can allude to where we can say certainly the world's gone mad? So in my own personal experience, I have had attempts, and these attempts continue to this day, to get me cancelled. And mostly the cancelling has to do with that I'd be invited to come and give a lecture at a particular university in, uh, well, a bunch of... Uh, Muslim student association groups would collaborate with leftist groups and they would cancel me. And, or they'd attempt to do that. I've been, when I was at Harvard, I was asked, uh, I was sent to the Office for Diversity because uh, Muslim students were complaining that my very presence um, made them feel unsafe mm. and unwelcome. Um, and then, of course, I have loads of colleagues uh, at the Hoover Institution, but also um, in other uh, academic circles. Um, my dear, dear friend, uh, Charles Murray, uh, who to this day, I mean, he, yeah. there are some, some individuals like that who are flashpoints for mm -hmm. these crazy people. And instead of coming uh, to the lectures and arguing and debating and not it would all have to be cancelled so I, I saw this from you know from a personal perspective but I thought it was all limited to academia and now what we're seeing is publishing houses you know what's going on with J.K. Rowling yeah. J.K. Rowling is very very famous and that is why we see you know because of how all of these things have come to, you know, in the open but I know of many books that were going to be published and never and never got published. It's, you know, employees at the publishing house complained about it. Yeah. My husband, Neil, uh, he had been uh, talking to some of the conservative students uh, at Stanford and they started a whole thing against him, calling him. That was really painful. You know, trying to get him fired. And so it, it, it went from cancelling people to getting people fired and to uh, making people, you know, ostracism, the, kinds of, the kind of thing you would say that shouldn't be happening in a, a liberal Western society. Uh, yeah. But it's happening now, yeah. And these accusations are thrown, they're thrown around in such a way that uh, I think the words white supremacy and racist no longer have any meaning. Because yeah. everyone is a white supremacist, then no one is, right? And they kind of encourage this feeling of shame. 
Yes. Um, a feeling of shame, the exploitation of vulnerable people and vulnerable groups of people, um, saying that they are doing all of this um, to, to fight for their rights. But to be quite honest with you, it's the opposite. Yeah. Well, let's dig down on something you said that kind of put this into a framework. In a recent um, Wall Street Journal op-ed, you compared wokeism to radical Islamist ideology. Um, you said the two ideologies have distinctive rituals. Islamists shout Allah Akbar and death to America, and wokeists shout Black Lives Matter and I can't breathe. Islamists yeah. pray to Mecca, the woke take the knee, both like burning the American flag. I, I, an incredible provocative statement. Um, yeah. and, I, and I was really taken about, I remember sitting in a park and I was like mind blown <laughs> at, that, at that point. I'm just wondering if you yeah. can elaborate on that statement um, and kind of drill down on what you were actually, the correlation you were referring to. And of course, there are differences, but uh, the, the correlation really has to do with that totalitarian state of mind and the intolerance for anything other than the narrow perception of the world. Um, the, the hostility, yes, to the, not just the American flag, but to our liberal order. And the blatant anti-Semitism uh, hiding in plain sight. Um, the... And again, here's an interesting, I, I, I've been talking to you about the work collaborating with the Islamists. And they do, even though they have different views. For instance, Islamists will um, condemn homosexuals. The work say that they are, they are defending the rights of homosexuals. There are differences here and there, but I think the main, the, the, the common ground really is it's this totalitarian state of mind and, and the hostility to our liberal order, uh, the rejection of the rule of law. Uh, you know, the woke also go around saying, uh, I believe the accused, regardless of, you know, any kind of, you shouldn't even be looking for evidence. You shouldn't even be asking questions. I believe her. Um, and now where we are, and I, I've been reading a lot of terrible things about Sweden, but here in America, we are having the woke defend looting and rioting and the destruction of property, all in the name of racism or being anti-racist. The Antifa um, people were, in, in Holland we would call them knokluchen, you know, they, they wear a mask, so you can't see who they are, they act in groups. And they justify their violence in the name of freedom, that they are anti-fascist, but they're behaving exactly like fascists. So you, have, you have all of these um, similarities between the radical Islamists and the woke, but the main one is it's just really the hostility to freedom, rule of law, property laws. And even in some ways, women, because some of the work are now through their, again, very narrow uh, perception of defending the rights of trans people, they are then sacrificing the rights of women. Yeah. I want to say that, you know, thinking about this interview, 
for a long time when I first found out that I was going to be interviewing you. By virtue of interviewing you, um, not that it was risky, but it could be misconstrued, that it was a, a virtue signal to the public that I'm choosing to profile someone else that doesn't fit into the very co-opted liberal narrative. Now, that doesn't imply anything because I'm a big fan of what you do and love what you do, but when I say that, does that make you feel uncomfortable? No, it doesn't. Um, I, again, like I think that we have, the bigger picture is this. We do have a crisis in journalism. We have a crisis in academia. We have, we have a crisis in um, the, the, our liberal intellectual discourse. And this has been going on for a long time. This is not caused by Islam or Islamists. I think Islamists simply exploit it. But this has been going on for a long time. And so when you, when you talk to me about, you know, why, why, are they, why are you choosing someone like me to profile, that's, in my view, because you're looking for someone who is not going to um, fill your pages in the interview with the platitudes that we hear all the time. When you talk to me, I'm just going to be really honest with you. Um, I'm going to tell you what I know and what I don't know. Mm. Um, I'm not going to, you know, you're not having an interview with Oprah Winfrey. Uh, and I think really the virtue the signaling, <laughs> signaling is on the other side, on the left side, where they, they're constantly appeasing these ideas that we live in a racist society that we live in, you know, the world is going to end in 12 years, nonsense, that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have, yeah, you, you have Greta Thunberg in Sweden, so I guess you have enough virtue signaling to last you forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He lives a uh, 10-minute commute on the train, Amy, and uh, I think she was... They said that we were going to nominate her for the Peace Prize today. Of course. So I want to kind of step back a bit and think about the framing of this issue. Um, maybe we can rewind. I know you talked about that this problem goes back many years, but maybe let's just rewind to the Me Too movement. I feel like okay. it nudged the door open to wokeism, and then I felt like, the Black Lives Matter movement, and when we had Occupy Wall Street as well, but the Black, Li Black Lives Matter movement flung this door wide open. So now, if you have any disagreements with the yeah. arrangement of these movements, you are served a cease and desist order or something akin to you are supporting power structures or a discourse that keeps yeah. the powerful oppressing others. I mean, that's how I feel. That's, I've been in many situations where I can't, voice my true opinion. So as Helen yes. Pluckrow says, it really is a story about how despair found new confidence. Do you think there is truth there or, or do you find this narrative unhelpful? I think there is... We, we have been seeing a lot of um, injustice done to women um, in the workplace and this... I mean, my next book is about... 
what's going on in Europe. Uh, and it's uh, women being subjected to harassment and rape and worse. Um, of course, the issues that were faced by Occupy Wall Street and uh, Black Lives Matter, the issues of inequality, that is absolutely real and we need to address them. Uh, the issues on climate, these are all very important issues that we should be having conversations about and seeking to resolve. But in order to do that, we have the liberal tools, which is we want people to come in and put all their perspectives on the table and have a conversation about, is it really, when we talk about blacks here, it, the fact that they are not doing as well as they should is that only can it only be explained through the lens of power and racism or are there other variables? And what these people are doing, what the woke are doing is they're saying no other perspectives, nothing, no one else. It's only as they see it. And when, uh, when you have that mindset, then that is when you start, you know, wading into totalitarian waters because you're then saying, uh, you know, what, what do I do with the proposition that the world is going to end in 12 years? or 10 years, or 18 months. You, you, then you're not, you can't have a conversation about, what about emerging markets? What about poor countries? Um, how, you know, fantastic. Let's, let's go to a place where we um, have no more emissions, but it's going to be a long journey and it's going to need technology. And do you think we should discuss yeah. nuclear? Uh, energy, and all, they say no to all of that. It's just their perspective. Well, okay. this is my next they cook question. Up stories, sorry, yeah. I was going to say, they cook up stories about men um, having harassed or raped women. Do you think you should just believe the accuser or should you look for an evidence to see if the accuser can the accused defend himself? They say, nope, I believe her. But they only believe that when he suits them. <laughs> yeah, and this is what disturbs me and something that I really want to get to, which is these people, the woke or the social justice warriors, um, want to overturn everything. So there is this narrative or this sense that this system, which we live by, should have been able to produce better results by now. And yeah. so... I love how Helen Pluckrose supports this idea where she says yeah. equal access to rubble is not a worthy goal. It's, it's, I completely, I love that book. I love every sentence and I love what Helen and Jim have done and their colleague here in uh, Oregon, Peter Bogosian, and others I imagine now. But it's true. It is, if you go with, uh, if you listen carefully to them and Listen to, um, you know, slogans like defund the police, uh, destroy the prison system, bring down statues. Um, the whole system is tainted, so the whole system has to be brought down. Then you hear the nihilism in that. If they're not telling what they're going to replace it with. They're just saying, let's just bring everything down. And only then can... Uh, only then can we achieve justice. Um, Robin DiAngelo, every white person is diagnosed with racism. 
And, and then you get into this ridiculous um, circular logic of, well, if you're a white person and you say, I'm not a racist, she says, well, that's proof that you are because you're displaying fragility. And it, it, that then becomes the intellectual discourse. And they want to bring all the institutions down. And statues are no longer, you know, just what statues are, which is just a referral to the past, but they really emote and make people angry. Then how on, I mean, you, you can, it, it is absolutely what they say. It's, it's, we're racing towards rubble. Yeah, equal opportunity rubble. Let's all be poor. Yeah, a race to the bottom. A race to the bottom. And I would be, I go a little farther than the three of them, and I say, I would just send these people to places in the world that are already like that. Exactly, where there is rubble. Well, it is rubble, yeah. If, if you really want, if you want no police, you want no liberal order, you want no property rights, why don't you just go try it out in Somalia for a while? Yeah. I want to kind of pose quite a provocative question to you. Um, some people might say, and maybe this would come from the Black Lives Matter movement, their sentiment might be, because of your colour and background, you should be the last person identifying yourself with the largely homogenous white liberal project, the one which serves to dominate and suppress you that you are taking the wrong side, perhaps self-hating or unaware or even worse, a brainwashed scholar of democracy. How would you respond to that? Well, first of all, I'll say I've had that, you know, it's an accusation that's been thrown at me for so long. Um, when I was, when I started to talk about female genital mutilation on a killing site, I used to be told you're a sellout, you're an infidel, you're a heretic. Um, you're a bounty. Bounty is uh, this chocolate which has, it's dark, it's brown of course on the outside and white on the inside. I was called an uncle's home. I'm used to all of this and it just, it only makes me more resilient. Yesterday I was talking to Helen Blackrose about this and, and she said, she said she was a combative person, asked me if I was combative and I said not in my personal life. I hate conflict and I hate confrontation. But when you want, if, if we all want to live in this world peacefully, then I think we should, we should fight for what we have. And regardless of the resistance, we're going to be met with. And now when it comes to the woke, it's, it's the, you know, the currency is to, to accuse people of all sorts of bigotry that they are guilty of. I mean, the people who are calling you racist are actually racist because they want to divide us along racist lines. So I, 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 resist, um, I, I resist these accusations simply by going on and doing it and, and trying to argue and trying to get other people um, to network and, and fight this thing and understand it. Yeah. In a way, would you say that liberalism has failed us? That, you know, the social justice movement would assume that <clears throat> prejudices exist everywhere at all times? 
do, do, do you think that there is a, a sense of truth to the idea that the goal to make our society in the West egalitarian has failed? It hasn't failed. It is an ongoing process. Look, if you are on the outside looking in, then what you see is success, huge success. So looking from the outside in, I think it is it, it's fantastic success. Look at all the people in the Middle East, um, Africa, South Asia, all trying to come to Europe and America. Do you think that any of these um, intersectionalist movements, brands, non-binary, the Black Lives Matter movement, do you think one has more merit than the other? Ah. Oh. I, no, I think it's all, again, and I refer you back to Clarkrose and Lindsay, um, but the, the, their basic idea is the same. They are sort, they're putting our society through a sorting machine, dividing us into groups. And these groups then are supposed to relate to one another only through the prism of power. That reminds me instantly of tribalism. And so now when we divide our society into these tribes that are hostile to one another because power is a zero-sum game in their perspective, um, I don't think anyone then benefits from that. Now, in a cynical way, you'll have individuals like Ibram X. Kendi or Robin D'Angelo make money out of exploiting um, existing vulnerabilities and existing disparities, but I don't see how their approach and, um, and their cultish uh, outlook helps any of the groups that they say are oppressed or are victims. Yeah, and their kind of response to that would be, we just can't see the invisible power lines because we're indoctrinated into this cult. And if you can't see it, you're supporting the system to go back to the same kind of premise. And, so, and then they go on, the logic goes on to say, well, only they can see what the rest of us can't see. But then how do you fix what you can't see? And they quickly go into these, uh, these propositions for dismantling things for dismantling the order. I heard about some guy in a university here saying he was calling for the genocide of white people. So when was that written? That's, it was a while back, before the intensification of the council culture. But, I mean, these, these ideas were... They were in universities, they were there right under the surface, but most of us didn't see it. But arguments like this, the woman from the New York Times who um, was also proposing something along those lines, there are rituals in some of the universities here where white people, especially white men, are asked to sit down uh, with chains uh, attached. Uh, they're put in chains and they're told to experience what it is like to be a victim of white racism and white supremacy. So what their propositions are to dismantle things, to oppress, um, 
and it's also really massively racist. You know, you know, racism against black people is not allowed, but now you can be racist against white people. Yeah. That's ridiculous, yeah. I don't see how, when they say you can't see, what, what is it that they're trying to show us? Well, John McWhorter would say, in a, in a Sam Harris post I recently heard, his answer to that would be, for the enlightened black person, this is him, quote, it has to be about identity, and their relationship has to be centred around what white people are doing or not doing. So yeah. <laughs> identity politics is baked in to the Black Lives Matter movement. And when I try and have discussions with people at bars or other people's houses for dinner, I am shut down. And that's okay to a certain extent. But the honour of having a rigorous discussion is not allowed anymore. So I wonder if you had any thoughts about the identity politics that plagues the Black Lives Matter movement and the fact that we're not allowed to discuss anything to do with the Black Lives Matter movement because it is inherently seen instantly as a racist uh, signal. Well, first of all, the first response uh, I had was if uh, a group of people who are looking for political power are saying that you may not discuss, you may not criticise, you may not debate their views, then that's exactly when you should do it. Because <laughs> then you have to ask yourself, what are they hiding? And uh, when I went on the Black Lives Matter website and I started to read their material and um, their campaigns, it's completely totalitarian. They are hardcore Marxists, uh, so far to the left uh, that it's insane. It's almost Stalinist. Um, and that is their political agenda. Their political agenda is not to lift uh, poor black people out of poverty. It is to um, it, 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 it's to advance a radical Marxist agenda that bodes no criticism whatsoever. And so that means we should all be motivated to fight them intellectually as much as we can and expose them and expose that agenda. If Joe Biden becomes president, do you think that that particular intensification or that Marxism that you talk about will have support? So when was that written? The, um, the woke have infiltrated the Democratic Party power machine and they've dumped their ideas uh, through the Sanders and um, again, other leftist uh, individuals like Ocasio-Cortez. Um, and the, the Democratic Party, in the last few months, uh, what I've been hearing is a lot of appeasement of the woke and the woke agenda. They've been using words like systemic racism, um, some of the, the jargon that the woke use. So, yes, I worry a lot about that. And um, I, I don't know if you had me give you the comparison between the Labour Party um, the UK Labour Party. Um, yeah. People my age. Jeremy Corbyn. People my. Yeah. People my age think you know when we think about the Labour Party, we normally think about people like Tony Blair, who are centre left. But now under Jeremy Corbyn and this group called Momentum, infiltrated the Labour Party and um, 
under Jeremy Corbyn, they were putting out an agenda that was hardcore Marxist and anti-Semitic. And I see, alarmingly, the Democratic Party going in the same direction. So I absolutely worry about... Uh, I worry about, more about the Democratic Party than I worry about the Republican Party. Does anti-Semitism play a role within this patchwork of... Uh of um, this kind of Marxism? It feels like it does somewhere. I'm just wondering why you think it's intensified. Well, I think, first of all, there was a time after the Second World War when, um, when we thought that anti-Semitism, both on the right and the left, had ebbed away. With the establishment of the State of Israel, we saw... Uh, Islamic groups and Palestinian activists um, promoting and bringing anti-Semitism back mm -hmm. and making it mainstream. And, you know, shockingly, um, a number of people on the left jumped on this bandwagon and would say they're not really criticizing, they're not anti-Semitic, they're simply criticizing the actions of the state of Israel. Now, when you listen to the woke, you will, at first, they'll talk about, yeah, the actions of the state of Israel, but then very quickly that morphs into straight anti-Semitism. You know, there's this uh, cabal of people who are pulling strings and they're Jewish, and, and then you have all these justifications uh, for mainstreaming anti-Semitism and and then acting on it. And so I think when, when we talk about anti-Semitism, we understand the anti-Semitism of the far right. Um, but we've always poorly understood the anti-Semitism of the far left. And now with the far left working together with the Islamists, mm. it, it's really, yeah. It, and then with the intersectionality matrix, uh, suddenly people who are subjected to the Holocaust or their descendants are supposed to be uh, having white privilege, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's very interesting to watch what's going on. Uh, when Ilhan yeah. Omar, who is from Somalia, uh, uh, she was uh, caught red-handed with those tweets of hers that were blatantly anti-Semitic, um, I just remember thinking the Democratic Party is going to make it very clear that that is unacceptable. They didn't. Um, they passed a resolution saying anti-Semitism is just as bad as Islamophobia, and you know, um, and, and that to me is shocking. That's what I mean when I when I worry about the Democratic Party. That's what I mean. Yeah. That they're moving, yeah, moving very quickly to a bad place. Yeah. Well. I know time is getting away from us. I wanted to combine two questions in one. I wanted to maybe signal potentially something positive that might come out of this cultural war. Um, okay. So stick with me on this. As a result of this kind of wokeism and cancer culture and deplatforming and civil unrest, the only thing I keep thinking of when I have free time, I think a lot about this cultural war, when I'm allowed to think about it and speak about it, um, is this idea of the Overton window, which I'm sure you're aware of. And mm -hmm. I think about the fact that if this needle moves even slightly 
on issues that we've been fighting for for hundreds of years more rapidly, the intensification, what I like to call mm -hmm. 100 years and three minutes, then that could be an amazing advancement. Furthermore, um, there are many of us that are just sick of the way the system has been um, brandished or treated. I'm talking about environmental degradation, capitalist oppression. Additionally to that former question, is there an argument to be made that not if we should be destroying the system, but what would you suggest as a logical path forward rather than destroying the system? If I'm optimistic, is that the general public are going to see that you know, we do need to work towards the principles and the values that we say we adhere to, the value of equality and equal justice, the value of, uh, of freedom, um, of, uh, you know, you take any of these issues. I think in a way, yeah, they have achieved awareness. Um, but we also have to be very, very, very careful when it comes to what we subscribe to. Yeah, so I agree with you on that. I think it is, in some ways it is, uh, yeah, we should be optimistic. Right, but I guess what I'm getting at is, if you were to have a meeting with these movements and they were to look at you and say, so what is a logical path forward for us, IR? We don't see any progress. What would you respond to them? I would respond to them that we have to revisit, uh, so, you know, like for us in America, we say, you know, our, our values are all about achieving justice and achieving equality. So why don't we use those values, those institutions to get ever, you know, ever closer to a more just society? Um, and I would refute um, their destructive uh, and angry. I, I, Ari, I have a, I make a difference between positive anger and negative anger. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's justified to be angry when you see an injustice. It's what you do with that anger. And there's one outcome of that passion of anger can be to build and um, to, to correct, whereas they are displaying negative anger. They're saying the system is so bad, let's just destroy it. And, 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 that's, and, and they don't want to debate me, they don't want to debate you, they don't want to debate anyone. They're convinced of their righteousness. Um, and that becomes a stern ideology in itself, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah. And James Lindsay has written about, he had a, a fantastic piece where he describes why they don't want to debate. Because they yeah. even say de debating, reason, rational, all of that is whiteness. That is all part of the language of oppression. So they don't want to debate you or me. And, and that's, of course, you know, at first you'd say it's absurd and I would laugh it off. Uh, but now that we are seeing more and more people subscribe to that, I find that's when I find it really dangerous and alarming. Yeah, and I feel like they're doing that while sleepwalking. I really do. Um, yeah, we're sleepwalking a bit. 
and I feel like I'm not not enough people are asking questions. I guess I just want to kind of finally ask. I'm worried. I am concerned. I saw the um, right. FA debate between you and I can't remember her name, and yeah. you pushed back that we haven't lost the war and. I wonder where it all ends in a way, because I feel like I used to read The Guardian, I used to read The New York yeah. Times, and I do still read them, but I feel like increasingly they're becoming compromised by this woke consciousness. So I ask myself the question, which in turn I ask you, does that mm-hmm. mean we must eventually take a side, or does it mean they're just afraid of losing readers? Because media is probably the most important pillar to cherish at a time like that. Right. So what I'm seeing here in America is the more the traditional media is compromised, uh, the more people start their own things. So the podcast industry is exploding. Um, there are initiatives like Substack and, gosh, I'm not, I'm not a tech person, but all sorts of people, uh, former journalists uh, uh, from you know, flagship media uh, outlets that are starting their own thing. And so there is a market for their ideas and they're using market forces to correct for the places and the things where the um, traditional media went wrong. We used to have, I think we still do, conservatives do, talk radio... Um, and now you have podcasts, you have um, a subscription-only blogging of, of sorts. So the, the opinion industry or, you know, the view-forming industry, opinion-forming industry is really big. And in that sense, I think we're, we're, being, we're going to be saved by that, I hope. Uh, I and hope it's, so it's all. Yeah, and I also think it's going to send a message to the traditional media that if they carry on this way, they're going to be out of business very quickly. I hope so. And this is, and here's again why I'm optimistic. I think the general public, just what in America we call Jane Doe and Joe Doe, <laughs> they, are, <laughs> they are just, you know, people, I think the common sense prevails. And so when... When they find out, no one knew what cancel culture was until after the killing of George Floyd. And when people were surveyed and they started to find out what it was, it's not popular. Uh, what is alarming, of course, is the takeover of the administrative state and, you know, uh, the educational institutions where you get the walk into them and they start to brainwash young people. And if you get enough people brainwashed, you can have, you can get into a very dangerous place. But I, in general, I'm hopeful that if we really push back and push back hard, that uh, the ideas are going to lose currency. I hope so. Well, yeah, I hope so. I've come to the end of this chat, which has been absolutely incredible. Do you want to give a quick shout out about your book coming out in February and your plans for the future, or is that something you can't talk about yet? I can just, the shout out, the book is called Prey, P-R-E-Y, and um, the subtitle is um, Islam, Immigration, and the Erosion of the Rights of Women in Europe. And uh, I've, 
I'm discussing different countries. Uh, Sweden is one of them. Um, the issue, uh, the main point of the book is that we are having men come from societies where women's rights are not respected and they're behaving in some really very bad ways. And this is towards all women, not just Muslim women or just immigrant women. And uh, these governments are doing very little to protect those rights, uh, women's rights. That's the main subject of the book. Wonderful. Well, Ayan, I really mean it when I say this. I really thoroughly enjoyed the interview. Thank you, Ari. Thank you very much for this.